Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise your holy name. Glory to Jesus. Well, I'm so excited to be bringing this message to you today. Um, I'm so excited to be here. And uh, let's, let's pray before we start. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> Father, we just thank you today for your word. We thank you that you are the living God. And, uh, and we're just gathered here today, Lord, in your name. And we thank you for the, the gift of uh, being your children and having the privilege of worshiping you. And, uh, and we thank you, Lord God, that you will have your way in this nation and in the nations, Lord. You said, ask of me and I will give you the heathen for your inheritance, the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. You said, ask of me and I'll give you nations, Lord. We're thanking you today, Lord, for nations. That this is a season where you're going to start turning the course of nations. And we include Ireland in that prayer. We include the United Kingdom in that prayer, Lord. The Europe, nations of Europe and Africa and hallelujah. All through the Americas, Lord God. We, we just declare, Lord, that this is a season where you are turning not just the course of the hearts of men, but the course of nations. In Jesus' name. And we thank you, Lord. We're standing in the gap, Lord. We're believing and we're trusting you for big things because we serve a big God. And Lord, your glory will be seen in Jesus' wonderful name. Hallelujah. Praise your name. Glory to God. So uh, we're uh, ministering on part two of prayer that prevails. And um, hallelujah. Uh, I've been up since four o'clock this morning, so I've had time to reflect and meditate and prepare my heart. And um, I got some beautiful fresh air this morning in Phoenix Park as we were worshiping there. And um, so I'm believing God's going to do glorious things in this season in Jesus' name. And I believe it's a new season. Amen. How many of you believe it's a new season? Amen. Hallelujah. So prayer that prevails. Psalm 14 verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry. Psalm 88 and 1. O Lord, the God of my salvation, I have cried out by day and in the night before you. First Chronicles 16, 11. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Psalm 116 and verse 2. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. Genesis 4.26, at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. You see, down through the ages, the Bible records how men and women cried out to God in prayer and prevailed. You know, ordinary men and women who brought their problems and their impossible circumstances and trials to God in prayer, and they received a miracle. Enemies defeated Armies conquered, giants brought down, nations lifted up. They saw mighty deliverances, storms calmed, seas split, armies defeated, even the sun going backwards in the sky. Barren wounds opened and the mouths of their enemies closed. I believe this is a season we're going to see that. 
But they saw all those things, not because they were the smartest or the strongest, but simply because they prevailed in prayer. You know, God brought that scripture to me this morning. You know, Psalm 68, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. You see, when God arises, the enemies of God will be scattered. When the truth is proclaimed, uh, every lie uh, must flee. And, and this is why the preaching of the gospel is so important. And again, there may be those who have no regard or understanding of the significance of what we do as preachers of the gospel, but I absolutely believe in this message because I believe it is a message uh, that determines life or death. And this is why I believe the churches should be open and why they are so important because as the church, we're dealing with the fundamental issues of life. And unfortunately, there have been religious leaders who haven't given that impression. But you see, the gospel is a matter of life or death. If you don't believe it, that is fine. That's your choice. Jesus said, what's the profit of man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? That's your choice. But I believe this message. And because I believe it, I must live accordingly. And so must you. Because we can confess him with our words and yet deny him by our actions. And this is where prayer is so important. Thank you, Jesus. You see, God did all of these amazing things down through the ages. This is a book of miracles from the first page to the last. It's, it's a, a book filled with testimonies and stories of deliverances, salvations, healings. You know, God coming through at the midnight hour, bringing change and bringing deliverance, bringing healing. But you know what? They received their miracle not because they were the smartest or the strongest, but simply because they prevailed in prayer. Because when we pray, the impossible becomes possible. When God's people pray, the enemy starts looking for an exit. Leonard Ravenhill said this. Prayer. <laughs> Hallelujah. Beauty, devil, name of Jesus. Prayer is not a preparation for the battle. It is the battle. This is what some Christians miss. Prayer isn't the preparation, it is the battle. William Gurnall, he was a, an English Puritan, 1617 to 1679. He said that Satan cannot deny, but that great wonders have been wrought by prayer. As the spirit of prayer goes up, so his kingdom goes down. And maybe the reason why we have seen such an encroachment of ungodliness and perversion in our societies right through the Western world is an indictment of the fact that we no longer pray, or at least that we no longer prevail in prayers. We must prevail. That is why we must press and we must take prayer seriously. 1 Kings 18.36. <clears throat> at the time of sacrifice... The prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I'm your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Oh, Father, may you turn the hearts of the Irish back to you again. This is once a nation where the hearts of the people once burned for you. Lord, I pray that you will turn the hearts of the Irish to you. 
that you will turn the hearts, Lord, of the nations to you in Jesus' name. Then the fire of God fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone go, get away. They seized them, Elijah, and then brought them to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. You see, it's time to see Satan's kingdom torn down. Elijah prayed and the fire fell. You see, there is no ritual. Uh, there, there is no organization. There is no, you know, uh, church growth program that can substitute for the fire. We need to see God's fire falling in our generation. You see, it was the fire that convinced the people then, and it's the fire that convinces the people now. So maybe the reason why many in our generation have not been convinced with regards to the importance of Christianity and the validity of the message is not an indictment of the teachings of Christ, but rather of the fact that our pur pulpits have been called and that we've been declaring all sorts of rubbish, all sorts of psychobabble, that we've been more concerned with being woke than with being biblical. You see, there is no substitute for the truth of God proclaimed in the power of his spirit. You see, Elijah prayed and the fire fell. He tore down the idolatrous altars of Baal and the whole nation turned back to the living God and a three-year drought came to an end. Just one man, one prayer, one day. And so too, we have power in prayer to effect real change in our nation and in our generation. What a mighty weapon we have and what awesome deeds we might see if only we would pray. Second Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, excuse me, and pray and turn from their wicked ways. Then I would hear from heaven, I would forgive their sin and I would heal their land. You see, Second Chronicles 7, 14 is predicated by the first word which says if. It is not a guarantee of what will happen. There is an if. If my people will pray. If they will humble themselves and pray. Sadly, in this verse, God acknowledges that even though the power to literally transform nations is available to us through prayer, that there are relatively few who ever access it in their lives. You know, D.L. Moody said this, every great move of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. Are you that kneeling figure? Are you that kneeling man or woman of God? Because that is where revival comes from. You know, the, the mighty revival in the Hebrides, you know, started with two old ladies who are praying. And revival always starts with prayer and it always comes to an end because people stop praying. You see, I think this is so important. Martin Luther, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. We talk about secrets to prayers that prevail because, again, while it's great to fellowship with God in prayer and enjoy His presence, ultimately, effective prayer is answered prayer. We serve the God who answers by far. You know, last week we looked at our faith and our focus, Mark chapter 11 and verse 22. 
And it says, Jesus answers said, have faith in God. What is the solution to the circumstances you're facing right now? Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Whether things are going right or whether things are going wrong. For surely I say to you that whosoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things which he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. So over and over again, it talks about believing before you can receive. And it says, whatever you ask, no matter what you may need, healing, finance, deliverance, direction, it's all been provided at the cross, and yet it's by faith that we appropriate what Christ has paid for. And this is why some of our prayers simply just don't prevail, because sometimes because our prayers lack faith, other times because they lack focus. But there are other keys to prevailing prayer. We've dealt with the two keys last week of, of focus and faith, and I'd encourage you, if you haven't listened to the message, to make the time to do so, and to you know, subscribe to the YouTube channel, All Nations Church Dublin. There's lots of messages there, and they'll bless you. So we've looked at faith, we've looked at a focus, and thirdly, foundation. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You see, Christ is our sure and everlasting foundation. John 1.14 said that Jesus is the Word made flesh. The Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory. Revelation 19 even refers to Jesus as the Word of God. It says he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. So we can't say we love Jesus if we don't love the Bible. Amen? And that's why Luke chapter 6 and verse 47 says, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. It's not enough to hear. We must be doers of the word, not hearers only, it says in James 1. It says he's like a, like a man building a house who dug deep. And this is a season where we have to dig deep. Amen? Dig deep into his word and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood rose, and the streams beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. Build your life on Jesus, and no matter what comes, you will not be shaken. Amen? Christ is our foundation. His word is our foundation. It is the foundation of our faith. But he who heard and did nothing, and that describes, sadly, that describes many Christians. You hear, but you do nothing. You, you hear messages, they just go over your head. Your biggest question when you walk out the doors of a church on a Sunday is, how do I apply this to my life? Otherwise, it will not benefit you whatsoever. Lord, Lord, we heard you teach in our streets and we ate with you. And he said, away from me, I never knew you. They heard, but they didn't apply truth. Truth that is not applied to you personally is of no benefit whatsoever. You can walk around with a bar of soap all day and yet be stinking. It'll never benefit you till you apply it by faith with some water. Amen. And so here it says, but he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. So, you know, God makes it very simple. There's, there's a very simple formula to success here in life. Build on the word and you will withstand the storms. And listen, the storms of life come to us all. 
It doesn't mean you deserved what happened to you. It doesn't mean that God is mad at you. It just means you live in a fallen world and sometimes hurting people hurt people. Sometimes we go through some bad things in life, but we have a promise that if we will build on that sure foundation, our house will stand. Because Isaiah 54, 17 says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Any tongue that rises against you in judgment will be condemned. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So the word of God is our only foundation. Your prayers will not prevail if you are not praying according to God's holy, eternal word. For God doesn't answer you because he feels sorry for you, but because you pray in line with his promises. 2 Peter 1, 2 and 4, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called you by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these... You may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So the Bible says that we can be partakers of the divine nature through these exceedingly great and precious promises. That's why we need knowledge. That's why I encourage you, go to Bible school. It's free. It will bless your life. All you need to do is have the discipline to finish what you start. But we need knowledge. Hosea 4.6 says, my people are destroyed through lack of knowledge. That's why it's so important to come to church. Thomas Fuller, 1608 to 1661. Zeal without knowledge is far without life. He was an English minister. You might say, uh, Pastor John, why do you quote all these dead people? Because they inspire me. Many of them lived in an environment that was far more challenging than the one we live in right now. And yet they stood for truth. And you know what? I, I like people who finish what they start. Paul said, I've finished the race. A lot of people start, you know, and, and show promise in the beginning, but there's not near as many finishers. Anybody who started a college course knows that. The first year, the room is packed. By year three or four, the place is half empty. Because there's not so many people who are willing to persist. But we must have a foundation. And knowledge is that foundation. Let me read that quote again. Zeal without knowledge is far without life. You see, there's no use in asking God for something that he's already prohibited in his word. It's not going to happen. You can't pray for another man's wife. You, you can't pray that God will do something, you know, uh, you know that's in, uh, inconsistent with his word. You know, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14, and it says, now this is the confidence that we have in, that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, how do we know whether it's according to his will or not? His will and his word are one. So if you want to know what God's will is, look at God's word. You know, we have the Old and the New Testament. Do you know what Testament means? It means will. If you want to know God's will, open this book. It will change your life. And it says, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have the petitions that he, we have asked of him. That's why you don't have to ask, is it his will? Uh, Lord, is it your will to heal me? Is it your will to meet my needs? He has made it explicitly clear in his word that it is his will. It is his will to heal. Isaiah 53, surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten and afflicted of a God. Yet he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we were healed. Healing is mine. He was purchased at the cross. 
Glory to God. We are redeemed. And the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen. So again, we can have confidence in prayer. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. And it says, be diligent to present yourself, approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We must study this word. Amen. Uh, 2 Timothy 3 and 16. And it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So here the Bible says, God wrote the Bible through men. And, and, and this is all scriptures given by inspiration of God. It wasn't that somebody came up with this in their own mind. God's word, God's will are one. And that's why we must diligently study it. Because if you know what the Bible says, you will have confidence in prayer. But if not, you will be prey to the endless traps, temptations, and lies of the devil. You know, Jesus simply responded to Satan, it is written in Luke chapter 4 when Satan came to tempt him. Three times Jesus said, it is written. He quoted the word of God. That is the answer. Jesus used the scripture as his primary weapon against the devil. It's no coincidence, therefore, that Ephesians 6, 17 refers to the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And this is why, sadly, there are many Christians in the battles of life are unarmed. The sword is your weapon. And you must know what the word of God says or else the devil will take you captive. Ephesians, uh, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. The word of God is a living thing. And so if you use the scriptures when you pray, your prayers will prevail. And this is why we must find the scriptures relating to our need and claim them by faith. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all is written therein, for then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. Here God gives you a very simple formula for success. Meditate on the word of God, study the word of God, quote it out of your mouth, irrespective of what you see, feel, or hear, stand on the word, and the promises of God will come to pass in your life in Jesus' name. You see, it's only when you read the Bible do you discover the good thing God has promised us there. He is a good father and he has made abundant provision for us. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And through him the amen is spoken to us uh, to the glory of God. The New King James. For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. Like I said last week, you don't have to try and convince God to answer your prayers. You don't have to try and convince God to bless you. He was convinced 2,000 years ago when he sent his son Jesus to hang on the cross in your place. Glory to God. He just wants you to take his word by faith. Just like Abraham, Abraham believed God. Does that describe you? Are you believing God for a miracle? Are you believing God? Are you standing on his word? Are you swayed by what you see or what you feel or what people say? Hallelujah. All the promises of God are yes and amen because Christ is key to prayers that prevail because it's in him that God's promises come to life. It's in him that we have access to God's holy throne. The Bible shares the secret to prevailing prayer. Simply use Jesus' name. Make the Bible the foundation of your prayer life rather than tradition, ritual, emotionalism, or legalism. And sadly, there's a whole lot of that in Pentecostal churches. We sometimes think God hears us depending on how loud we pray or how long we pray. 
or, or because you get up at three o'clock in the morning. You know, I'm up at, I was up at four this morning, but that doesn't mean it's any more spiritual to be praying at four in the morning at four in the afternoon. What matters is that you're seeking the face of God. And remember, four in the morning here is four in the afternoon in Australia. So, I mean, you know, we, we can get caught up in all these kind of peripheral, irrelevant things. What matters is your heart. Proverbs says, my son, give me your heart. God doesn't look at the thing man looks at. God looks at the heart, it says in the book of Samuel. So again, let's present our heart to God. John 14 and verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. John chapter 15 and verse 16. How many of you love the word of God? Amen. And uh, I hope you're saying amen at home. Uh, it says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you should bear, uh, go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Amen. So it's whatever we ask in the name of Jesus. Again, 16, uh, John 16, 23. In that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. God wants us to ask. The Bible says, ask in the name of Jesus if you want your prayers answered. It doesn't say to light candles, burn incense, you know, get into some yoga position and meditate or pray to a statue or rattle off prayers over and over again. It says to simply use the name of Jesus. And when you pray in his name, demons will flee and bondages will break. Acts 6.14. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. The disciples prioritized prayer, God's presence, and God's word. And they worked great miracles in Jesus' name. Maybe we could do it less miracles. Let me start that again. Maybe we could do it less messages that were born in focus groups and more messages that come from the throne room of God in prayer. Amen. So again, we've looked at Faith, uh, f- focus, uh, you know, we've looked at foundation. And fourthly, fervency. James 5 verse 13 says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Amen. So again, this is beautiful. It talks about Elijah. He prayed. And it says it didn't rain on the earth. And it says he, he prayed again, and, and the rains came. It says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly, it would not rain. It did not rain the land for three years, six months. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So again, uh, I believe James 5 promises us that fervent prayers accomplish great things. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So it adds fervent to prayer. And we can therefore infer that wishy-washy, half-hearted prayers accomplish little or nothing. You see, God wants all your life or none at all. Romans 12, 11 in the NIV, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. New King James, not lacking in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. That word fervent in both instances is zeo in the Greek, and it means to be hot. It means boil of liquids or glow of solids. How many of you know when you melt gold, it starts to glow? It says to be fervent, to be fervid or to be fervent. We must be fervent in spirit. You know, Jacob was so fervent that, uh, you know, he, he, he literally prayed all night until he pressed through. You know, many of us might see breakthroughs if we had his attitude. Genesis chapter 32 
And it says he rose that night, sent his wives, his female uh, servants, his uh, 11 sons, crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent uh, over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. It's only when we're left alone that God really deals with us. And sometimes God brings us to that place where, where we're on our own, and where, you know, but God starts to deal with our hearts. And um, it, it, it said uh, it, that he wrestled with a man until the breaking of day. Jacob would just not let go. And when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint and wrestled with him. But he said, let me go uh, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let go unless you bless me. Do you take that attitude when you pray? I'm not going to quit until I see this answered prayer. I'm not going to quit until I see my family saved. I'm not going to quit until I see the breakthrough. I'm not going to quit until I get my job. I'm going to go out there and keep knocking on doors until I get that job in Jesus' name. But you might say, Pastor John, I thought you were talking about prayer. Yes, prayer and action go together. Don't be just sitting at home praying. Get out there and knock on some doors in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Send some emails. <laughs> Nobody wants you at the door. But anyway... Glory to Jesus. It said, I will not go and let you bless me. And he said, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have prevailed with God with men. And, uh, for you have struggled with God and men. You've prevailed. Then Jacob asked, tell me, what is your name? He said, why did you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. Hallelujah. Praise God. I believe that's a type and a shadow of Christ. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I've seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose in him and he limped on his hip. You know, from that moment on, it said that Jacob limped. Because you know what? When you've been with God, there's going to be a mark on your life. There's going to be something different about you. If you're a preacher, there's going to be something different when you speak. You know, as a believer, if you have that touch of God on your life, people are going to tell. Even if they're not saved, they're going to know there's something different about you. When you've been with God, when you have wrestled, when you've been in that place of prayer, when you have prevailed, there will be something on your life that people will recognize that's different. And they will want it. Jacob was so fervent, he prayed all night until he pressed through. Many of us, like I said, might see breakthroughs if we had his attitude. A.W. Tozer, to desire revival and yet at the same time neglect personal prayer and devotion is to wish one way and to walk another. You see, fervent people actually do something where others merely talk or complain. Daniel was fervent. He pressed through in prayer even though it took him three weeks because as he was praying, angels were battling. Daniel 10, 12. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, from, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God. Your words were heard and I've come because of your words. You know, the preacher Henry Varley, an English preacher, he once remarked to the American evangelist D.L. Moody, the world has yet to see what the Lord will do with and for and through a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. In reflection, D.L. Moody said this, a man, he meant any man. He didn't say he had to be educated or brilliant or anything else, just a man. Well, by the Holy Spirit in me, I will be that man. Hallelujah. Have you determined that you will be that man or that woman who prevails in prayer, who presses true, and who takes your destiny in Jesus' name and steps into all that God has called you to do? We need men and women like that who will press true, who will prevail in prayer. Just like John Knox who said, give me Scotland or I die. You know, Mary, Queen of Scots said, I, I fear his prayers more than all the armies of England. Think about that. 
Give me Scotland or I die. Where's the men and women who are saying, give me Ireland or I die. Give me this nation. Let this nation turn back to the living God. Let us see a generation that is caught up in narcissism in social media, Instagram and sin and all sorts of perversion and have embraced all sorts of lies to the point where they no longer even want to acknowledge the difference between men and women. Where are the men and women who are crying out, say, give me that generation. Lord, help me to shine your light into these dark places. Fervency. John 3.16, Revelation 3.16, Jesus said, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. King James says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Vomit is a, it's a violent physical reaction. And this is what we give to Jesus when we give him a half-hearted, lukewarm response. We are obligated by the cross. This morning I was standing preaching under a beautiful cross, 115 feet high. And I look at that cross and I'm, I see how small I am. Yet I also reminded how much, how loved I am. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We are obligated to the sacrifice that Christ made on that cross. We are obligated to obey and to honor him before all others. You see, God gave his very best for us. God forbid that we should do any less for him. John Wesley, light yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles to watch you burn. In light of the cross and of Christ's sacrifice, how can we not be fervent? D.L. Moody again said this, because he died for me, I love him. Because he died for me, I will serve him. I will work for him. I will give him my very life. You know, I've hundreds and hundreds of books at home, but you know, recently God has been bringing me back to many of the books that that fed my soul in the earlier years of my walk with Christ when I first got saved. You know, D.L. Uh, Moody and Charles G. Finney and Lester Sumrall, all of these, you know, uh, men who, who, who pioneered and who paved the way. And you know, I believe we're pioneering something in this nation. God is making room in the spirit for us. He's making room for us. And I believe that room is being made in prayer. The darkness will be pushed back in Jesus' name. Hosea 7.14 in the Moffat Bible says, they never put their heart into their prayers. I am not talking about legalism. I'm not talking about having to say your prayers. Prayer is not an obligation. It's an opportunity that we get to talk to our Heavenly Father. We get to come into His presence. We get to commune with Him. We get to talk with Him. We get to hear Him. But it says they never put their heart into their prayers. Are we sometimes half-hearted in how we serve him, in how we seek him, in how we pray, in how we witness? The story of, I want to read the story of Charlie Peace. Charlie Peace was a criminal. Laws of God or man curbed him not. Finally, the law caught up with him. He was condemned to death. On the fatal morning in Armley Jail, Leeds, England, he was taken on the death walk. Before him went the prison chaplain, routinely and sleepily reading some Bible verses. The criminal touched the preacher and asked what he was reading. The consolations of religion was the reply. Charlie Peace was shocked at the way he professionally read about hell. Could a man be so unmoved under the very shadow of the scaffold as to lead a fellow human being there and yet dry-eyed read of a pit that has no bottom into which his fellow must fall? 
Could this preacher believe the words that there is an eternal fire that never consumes its victims and yet slide over the phrase without a tremor? Is a man human at all who can say with no tears you will be eternally dying and yet never know the relief that death brings? All this was too much for Charlie Peace and so he preached. Listen to the on the eve of hell sermon. Sir, addressing the preacher, if I believed what you and the church of God said, say you believe, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it if need be on hands and knees and think it worthwhile living just to save one soul from an eternal hell like that. Leonard Ravenhill, why revival tarries? Are you moved by the, plot, by, by the plight of an unsaved world? You know, I took a stand this morning because I'm convicted that I do not have the right to put aside the Great Commission. The Great Commission applies. There is a world that is on its way to heaven or hell. Let me say this. Whether or not a person takes a vaccine is not going to get, stop them from going to hell. They must hear the gospel. They must receive Jesus Christ. In the face of eternity, the only appropriate response is urgency and fervency. Exodus 20 and verse 3 in the Moffat Bible. You shall have no gods before me. Do we put God first in our lives? And if not, why are we surprised that our prayers don't prevail? Because God sees our hearts, even if no one else does, and he will not share his glory with another. Isaiah 42 and verse 8, I'm the Lord, that is my name and my glory. I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images, because a fervent heart is not divided. 1 Kings 18, 21. It says, Elijah came to the people, said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if bad, Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Samuel Chadwick said this, the only concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying, he wrote. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Thank you, Jesus. Hell trembles when God's people pray. So we've looked at it, faith our focus, our foundation, our fervency, and lastly, freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom is a sacred, God-given gift. Freedom is worth fighting for. It says where the, the Lord is the Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Because freedom is under assault. This is beyond doubt because we've been locked away under de facto house arrest for the last year. Our churches and our businesses have been closed. This is week 44 in Dublin, Ireland of the churches being closed. Out of the last 13 months, the church has been closed for 11. There is nowhere in Europe and probably nowhere else in the world, aside from places like Cuba, where this hasn't been the case. All over Europe, churches are open today. And yet in Ireland, they continue to remain closed. 40, week 44. And now we're being told that arranging or attending a church service is a criminal act. So based on the law, what I did this morning was a criminal act by gathering to worship at the cross in the Phoenix Park. 
I never thought I would see the day where this would happen in Ireland, the land of saints and scholars. The nation once known as the land of a thousand welcomes, Cade Mila Falta. This is now the place where we will put you into a two-week enforced quarantine, and if you, res- if you dare to resist, we will shame you in the media and probably throw you in prison. Freedoms that we once took for granted, like getting in a car and driving down to see my family in Kerry, been taken away. And it all happened so quickly. I'm not trying to be melodramatic or infer any malevolent intent in our government. But you know what? It is what it is. Because few generations have seen such a rapid elimination of personal freedoms, even if it is in the name of the greater good. And again, it's, it's, it's very simplistic to just simply present the greater good as avoiding COVID. Where is the greater good of those who have gone back into addiction over this year? Or those who have suffered domestic abuse or the marriages that have failed? Where is the greater good of those who have lost their livelihood, maybe lost businesses, you know, that have been in their family for generations? Where is the the greater good of those who uh, unfortunately may die as a result of, of diseases that have not been diagnosed as a consequence of the lockdown? Where's the greater good of those who tragically have taken their lives over this season? So again, we cannot just simply define the greater good in terms of COVID numbers. You have to look at the collateral damage that has taken place in our society. And as a pastor, I make no apology for bringing this up. And I wish more pastors would speak up because as a pastor, I've seen terrible, terrible, uh, you know, damage in the lives of, of many people. People, you know, now on, on medication, struggling in their mental health. Uh, you know, these are very real issues that can't be simply airbrushed out of the equation. If World War II has taught us anything, it is this, freedom isn't free, nor is it guaranteed to the next generation. We have to fight for it, we have to contend for it. Jude 1 and verse 3. I feel compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. You see, we contend in prayer. I'm not condemning government. I understand everything that's been done has been done with good intentions. But there is an old saying, the pathway to hell is paved with good intentions. I don't believe that worship should ever have been criminalized in this nation. And I certainly don't believe the churches should be closed. But we contend in prayer. The Bible says contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. So the faith has been entrusted to us. And you know what? I consider it to be a sacred trust. And therefore, I really don't care if I get shamed in the mainstream or in social media. I don't care if I get condemned or if I get thrown into prison. Ultimately, I believe I've been given a sacred trust as a preacher of the gospel to lift up Jesus and to preach Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm not going to apologize for it. This is my calling. And when you criminalize the uh, organization or attendance of religious services, you have just criminalized my calling. And I say, hell no. You do not have the right. You do not have the right to do that. You do not have the right to close churches. You do not have the right to say that I cannot gather to publicly worship my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when people all over Europe are doing this today. We have a promise that when we pray, God hears us. Give me two minutes and I'm finished. 
Jeremiah 33, 3 says, Call on me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. President Ronald Reagan said this, We are never defeated unless we give up on God. That saying is a warning to our generation. Because in many respects, we have given up on God. We have turned our back on him. And then we wonder why the wheels are coming off our society, why everything is crumbling and coming apart. When we have undermined family, we've undermined morality. We have mocked God. We've mocked truth. We slaughter the unborn by the million every year in the name of convenience and bury the barbaric reality of what we're doing under euphemisms like health care or choice, etc., We as a society must repent because freedom is not free. It was purchased in blood at the cross. But if we turn from God, there is no hope. Those who forsake me shall be written in the dust. For they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water, says in the book of Jeremiah. Where is the great and mighty Roman Empire or the Babylonian Empire? Are the various empires of men that have built and have all been fall and have all fallen? Look at the social, the, you know, the Soviet Union nations. You know, look what happened there. When we turn our back on God, God turns His back on us. And I just declare in the name of Jesus, may our nations come to a place of repentance and may we come back to the fear of God. Because without the fear of God, our society does not have a future. You can portray all sorts of utopias in your little head based on socialism or based on wokeism or based on all sorts of liberal leftist ideas. It never works. Show me a society where it's ever worked before. It hasn't. Anytime we turn away from God, everything falls apart. It's just a matter of time. But we have a promise. Call on me. Call on me. The answer is in prayer, not in protest. What I did this morning was not a protest service, it was a worship service. I'm not here to protest, I'm here to proclaim. Proclaim truth that will determine where you spend eternity. We're never defeated unless we give up on God, Ronald Reagan. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, no matter how bad things get, to pray without ceasing. So even in these challenging times, we must be consistent in seeking the face of God. And that means to keep on praying even when we aren't seeing results. This verse speaks of relationship rather than religion. We were made to walk with God and true freedom is found in his presence because there is a place that you can go that the enemy cannot follow. He who dwells in the secret place. Uh, Psalm 42 and verse one. There is a place you can go, the enemy can't find you. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you. Oh God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And, and this gives us a picture of a deer that's being pursued by a predator. And yet the deer is running towards the water. You know why? When the deer gets to the water, the enemy loses his scent. And so too, when we come into God's presence, that thing that's been tormenting you, that assignment from hell that has been sent to destroy you, to pair, despair, depression, addiction, fear, confusion, whatever it is. When you come into God's presence, the enemy has to back back. That is a door he cannot walk through. That's why it says he who dwells. Glory to God, I don't want to just call, I want to dwell. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Hallelujah. Psalm 63. And it says, oh God, you are my God. 
Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My, my flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Are you looking for God? Do you rise early in the morning to pray and spend time to seek him? Because there's a place where we can leave the cares and troubles of this world behind us. Freedom and liberty are found in the place of prayer. Psalm 30 verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Fear not, child of God. You have been through a dark season of the soul. We have been through dark times recently, and some of you may be darker than others, I understand. But the Bible says, do not fear, because his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning as the worship group comes. Joy comes in the morning. You know, some of you might have been through a season of weeping, a season of struggle. But you know what? Change is coming. If you know and trust him, your prayers will prevail. Because we don't, again, you won't have any doubts about God's willingness to bless and provide and heal and guide and deliver you if you spend time in his presence. You will walk in the freedom that belongs to every blood-bought child of God. You will be free from fear, anxiety, depression. Amen. You can walk in that freedom that Christ purchased. Freedom to love, freedom to live. I don't know about you, but I choose faith and not fear. Because when, uh, when we walk with him, his love drives out all fear, it says in 1 John 4. Perfect love casts out fear. You won't be wasting your time watching, you know, videos about the Antichrist. Amen. You know why? You're not going to be looking at the Antichrist. You're going to be looking to the coming of Christ. Because our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You see, we're called to freedom and fellowship, not fear. Genesis 5.24, Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. And so if we walk with God, we won't allow ourselves to become, or he won't allow us to become slaves to fear. You will pray and your prayers will prevail. Samuel Chadwick again, prayer turns ordinary mortals into men of power. It brings power. It brings fire. It brings rain. It brings life. It brings God. You see, some of you right now, you need God. You need God on the scene. You need more than money. You need more than a breakthrough. You need God to turn up. Because when he turns up, the enemy flees. You know, 2 Kings 6, 17, Elijah prayed for his servant, Lord, open his eyes. He said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. Some of you need to see differently because you're focused right now on what you see physically. God wants to open the eyes of your understanding, being enlightened. May God open our eyes to see the endless possibilities they exist through prayer. Leviticus 25 and 10, my last verse. And you shall hallow the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land and all the inhabitants thereof. Praise God. Proclaim liberty throughout the land. I believe it is time to proclaim liberty throughout the land because we've been through a time of containment. We've been through a time of despair. Amen. I know there's many people watching and maybe you've been bereaved. You've lost loved ones. Maybe you've had all sorts of struggles or trials during this season. Maybe you've been doing everything you can just to keep yourself together during this season. All I know is this, we serve a God who answers prayer. We serve a God who sees you. 
And he simply said, call on me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. So we're going to pray for you in a moment, but I want us to just enter into worship for a few moments and just, let's just get our hearts, just lift our hearts to the Lord in worship. Come on, the Lord is worthy of praise. We're talking about prevailing in prayer. You know, worship is the highest form of prayer. So let's just give God the glory and I'm going to come back then and we're going to pray.